You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you've got a Bible, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 15. We continue our march through the Gospel of John. We've been in John for about nine months together as a faith family, and I don't know uh, if you've traveled much, if you've made a lot of road trips, but I love road trips, but my perspective on road trips has changed in the last five years since becoming a dad, but when we, Mary Lane's family lives in uh, Birmingham, Alabama area, and so when we go back to Birmingham there's kind of mile markers as we get there. Like, I've, I know if we can get from Kansas City to Springfield without a bathroom stop, we're doing really well. Then if I can get to Springfield to Jonesboro, Arkansas, without having to change a diaper or another bathroom break, then we're doing really well. If we can get from Jonesboro to Memphis, Tennessee, then that's another mile mark, and then Memphis to Birmingham. That's how I, th- I break it down in my mind. Well, as we go on this long road trip through John, you might be asking yourself, Adam, are we there yet? We're about at the Jonesboro, Arkansas place right now, so we're getting there. We're getting closer and closer, but I hope the Gospel of John is a blessing to you. We'll wrap this up at the first part of September, and then we're going to go into some fun stuff, uh, other things together as a faith family. So let's get there. Let's see if we can make it to Memphis without using the restroom. How about that? We've seen the last couple of weeks, we've been through the gospel of John the last nine months, but t- today we're going to wrap up chapter 15. In chapter 15, the last three weeks together, we've seen that Jesus said the first part of this uh, chapter in John that he is the true vine. Jesus is here throughout chapters 14, 15, 16, has been instructing his disciples, letting them know, I'm going to leave you, the Holy Spirit's going to come. Jesus, in these chapters, is preparing his disciples to go and start his church. And we see in the the epistle of Acts, the, the book of Acts, we see that of how that happened. Well, Jesus here is giving them some last final words, some instructions before they do this. And so in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, that his disciples as the branches needed to remain, abide, be connected in him. Then last week we saw Jesus explain to his disciples, he takes that idea of abiding in him. Jesus took that a step further and Jesus explained to them that as God the Father loves him, as God the Son He loves them. And then he commanded his disciples to remain in his love and then obey his commandments. And we talked last week that sometimes when we see and hear Jesus say, remain or abide in my love, and then in verse 10 he said, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We talked about how sometimes when we read that, what we understand that as is, okay, I will obey and then I'll earn the love of Christ. Or if I obey, then I receive approval from God. But that's not what Jesus was saying here. But really what it is Jesus is saying is that if we abide in his love, then that affects our obedience. That affects even our disobedience. 
Because as we saw last week, when we sin, what that really means is we are loving something else more than Jesus. And ultimately, when we really boil that down to the root cause of our sin, of any sin, is pride, that we love ourselves more than Jesus. And so Jesus says, remain, abide in my love. So what this means personally for us is that we have to fill our lives with what stirs up our affections and our love for Christ, rather than filling our lives with things that can siphon our love and affection for Christ. And I would encourage us, I said this last week, I would encourage each of us to together as a faith family discover what it is that stirs up our love for Christ and discover what numbs our love for Christ. And then we need to run to chase after that which stirs up our love for Christ, and then we need to begin eliminating what takes away our love from Christ, our, our way, uh, takes our love away from Christ. So and then in the last verses, we saw Jesus, he said, verse 17, where we left off last week, he says, this is what I command you, love one another. Jesus challenged and commanded his disciples to love one another, and he tells them that this is the, wor- the way the world will know that they are his followers, is by the way they love each other. And we talked about how this love that Jesus is describing here, that they would have for one another, it is a self sacrificing love. That we are, we as Christians, yes, we are called to give our physical lives for each other, but we are also called to die to our own wants, our own needs, desires, preferences for the good of other people. That is self-sacrificial love. That is the love that Jesus commanded his disciples Now, as we're talking about this idea of remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ, remaining and abiding in his love, staying connected to him, Jesus saying he's the true vine, that we are the branches and that without him we can do nothing, Jesus is going to yet push this a little bit further. What we see here in John chapter 15, we see a progression of commitment. Because we've seen so far in John 15, Jesus is saying, stay connected to me. I'm the true vine, you're the branches, so stay connected to me. Then Jesus says, remain in my love, and that will affect your obedience. Then the next step, Jesus said, love one another. By this, the world will know that you are my followers. And Jesus, here at the end of John 15, he's going to take this call to abide in him one step further. Because here's what Jesus does with his followers here in John 15 with these disciples, and here's what Jesus does with us, his followers, his believers today, if you claim to be one, is Jesus will push us right to the edge. Jesus is going to call us to do uncomfortable things. Jesus is going to strip away and remove our comfort zones. Why? Why does he do that? 
Why will Jesus strip everything away out of our lives, even our comfort zones? Why is Jesus going to do that? Because as he does that, as Jesus moves us into uncomfortable places, then what he is going to do is then we are not going to have any choice but to abide and remain in him. So Jesus pushes his followers to those uncomfortable places to, to point them to him. It's an act of sanctification. It's an act of love. Jesus says, I love you so much that I am going to put you in uncomfortable situations. So that way you are going to have no choice but to abide in me. Jesus, at verse five, he, or, yeah, verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And at the end, he says, because you can do nothing without me. So Jesus is going to call us as we, before we get into verses 18 through 27, we have to understand that Jesus is going to put us in situations to where we can say, I can do nothing without him. And this is what Jesus is going to do with his disciples and explain to him here in these verses. These verses, if we're not careful, can cause fear. They can cause fear. But that is not what Jesus is calling us to. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. So look at verse 18 here in John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew uh, Bible, a Bible there in the pew for you that is our gift to you as a church. If you don't own one, you can find this passage out of the Christian Standard Bible and on page 589. And here is what it says, verse 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the, Lord, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but, have chosen you, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So what is Jesus saying here? What do we see here? Jesus is telling his disciples, persecution will come. Jesus is telling his disciples, persecution will come. And he's also telling them to expect it. To expect it. See, Jesus is sharing that believers are not of the world, but are hated by it. And when Jesus is talking about the world here, he's not talking about the globe, okay? Jesus, if we were to go up into the, in a space shuttle and we were to go orbit around the earth, that would be the world. That would be the earth. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. When Jesus is talking about the world here, he is talking about a system, a system that is, just to really simplify it, is anti-God, that is against God, that is shaking its fist against God. And so Jesus shares that believers are not of the world. Though we are in the world, we are not of the world. And then he says, you will be hated by it. He tells them to expect it. Jesus tells them that if they were of the, of the world, then the world would accept them. Be, but because they are not, they're going to be rejected. And don't we see this in the book of Acts? Don't we have a huge advantage? Because we can compare Scripture with Scripture. We know in Acts, we see that the church was persecuted. 
We even see Saul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul. It said that he persecuted the church. He ravaged the church. And Jesus is saying, listen, expect this. You will be rejected. This shows the world's acceptance of only what goes on along with the cultural flow. Anything that, dis- that will disrupt the status quo, Jesus is saying, is going to be rejected. This is the reaction to the followers of Jesus. Following Jesus is a whole new, different way of life. Opposite of how the world and its system works. And for the disciples, their teacher, their rabbi is leaving them. And Jesus is telling them, you are going to be persecuted. But he leaves them with hope with a promise, because look again at verse 20. He says, remember, I kind of imagine a parent telling a child, remember what I told you? Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Now, if you weren't here last week, you're probably thinking, remember, what what is Jesus, what's Jesus talking about here? Well, look up at verse 15 of John 15. Because Jesus here in verse 20 says, remember, a servant's not greater than his master. What's Jesus bringing to their remembrance? What is Jesus reminding them of? Well, verse 15, Jesus says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. So what Jesus is saying here, this is not a master-servant relationship that we have with each other. This is a friend relationship. This is a friend. We talked about last week how in our culture today we've cheapened the word friend. We just think we can throw the word friend out there. Therefore, we're friends or we're friends on Facebook or we're acquaintances. Therefore, we're friends. No, we've cheapened in our culture the word friend. What Jesus is, is talking about here is we are co-equals. We are brothers. We're co-equals. So Jesus is reminding them, even in the face of persecution, we are friends. We are brothers. We are co-equals. And so if they have hated me, they're going to hate you. So it's kind of like that idea of we're all in the same boat together or the phrase of misery loves company. Jesus is saying, in persecution, in rejection, we are in this together. There's that built-in support system. And it's better than any kind of other support system we could possibly have because our support system is the Son of God, is God Himself. And so this is not a master-servant relationship or really how the disciples would have understood that this is not a rabbi-student relationship anymore. And so what Jesus is saying here by describing them as friends, as the servant is not greater than the the master, what Jesus is saying here, this is very counterculture in the Jewish culture. Because remember, the disciples, they viewed Jesus as a rabbi, a much respected teacher. And so if you were mentored and taught by a rabbi, you would not have been ever considered on the same playing field, ever, ever. So all of a sudden, their rabbi, their teacher, their Messiah is saying, this is not master-servant. This is not teacher-student. This is friend. This is brother. 
So even in the middle of this difficult journey in spreading the gospel to the nations, Jesus is saying, we are brothers. Remember. Remember. I wonder, I don't know this, this is my own speculation, you can take it for whatever it's worth and it's not worth anything. But I wonder as these disciples would go out and they would start the church and they would see the gospel spread and they would face persecution and they would be beaten, they would be imprisoned, they would be martyred. I wonder in those moments if these followers remembered. I wonder if in their minds they went back to Jesus teaching them this in the upper room just before his own crucifixion. And he says, remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I wonder if they remembered that. Let's keep going. Verse 21. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now that they have no excuse for their sin, the one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. It's interesting that in here in John, let's zoom out for just a little, for just a second. John, when he wrote this book, and the Christians that would have been reading this book were most likely in the face of very severe persecution. They were losing everything, even their lives, for the sake of the gospel. So for Christians reading John's gospel in the first century, this would have been hitting them close to home. Because we can see from historians that Christians had already been excluded from the synagogues and had suffered being martyrs through the Roman Empire. And so for them to read what Jesus is saying here would have struck a very painful chord. This would have been very real to them. They were in the midst of suffering, but they were also reminded that their resurrected Lord had also walked in the way of being hated. Jesus points out that this hatred is not just towards him, but to the Father as well. See, there's one thing that we need to understand about persecution, and we as Americans, we don't even have a clue what persecution means. We don't. We as Americans, we are so guilty, in fact, of running from persecution. We want nothing to do with it. 
We think if we can just elect the right presidential candidates and have the right judges on the Supreme Court, then therefore our lives will be okay and we will not have to suffer persecution. We will not have to suffer. But Jesus is telling his followers, expect to suffer for the gospel. Expect it. Expect to be rejected. And so in here in 2018, this means a little bit different for us. We have to understand that the gospel is going to be offensive. Now, we never proclaim the gospel in an offensive way. Now, some of our brothers and sisters, our friends, if we want to call them that, they may present it in an offensive way. We never want to present the gospel in an offensive way. But the gospel in of itself is offensive because what does it say? You're wrong. The gospel at its core teaches us that at our core, we are bad. We are rebellious. And we need Jesus. We cannot save ourselves. That is counterculture. And we can expect it to be rejected. But Jesus is telling his disciples, expect to suffer. The the readers of this gospel would have been in the midst of suffering. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, why does God, why does Jesus allow persecution? Why does suffering happen? Why does the age-old question, why does bad things happen to good people? Why can't Christianity just be a bunch of unicorns and rainbows and we're all happy together? Why is it not that way? Because if our lives will be this smooth, easy on cruise control, here's what I know about myself. I don't run to Jesus. When my life is good and there is money in the savings account and kids are healthy and my health is good and things are going well, I have a tendency to not abide in Christ. And so Jesus allows suffering and persecution to come to get us to the point of saying, I can do nothing and I need Jesus. And in that, Christ is made famous, he is glorified, and he is spread to the ends of the earth, his glory and his gospel. If you look at what's happening around the world, we see that happening. Did you know that religious freedom is not necessary for the church to grow? We see what's happening in China right now. The church is exploding in China. No religious freedom, communist country. And the church is exploding. You see what's happening in India, in the Middle East, and Christianity is spreading rapidly. Why? Because those brothers and sisters, and we are called to pray for them, those brothers and sisters in those countries, they can do nothing but abide in Christ. And they need Jesus. And so what happens as we see that the church is persecuted and we are persecuted and we experience suffering, that Christ is glorified. He is made known to the ends of the earth. I've told, I think I've I've told you all about the friend of mine. His name's George Tagley. George and I went to college. He was an English major. Why? I don't know. Talk about suffering, but he was an English major. And 
George for three summers, him and a group of English students from our university went over to China to teach English in their university. And the Chinese government paid for everything. And they went there and they taught in the universities, they taught English, and they just developed relationships with the Chinese students there, and they started Bible studies in apartments and in homes. They saw all kinds of men and women, Chinese men and women, come to know Christ, become brothers and sisters. George even told me that one time they baptized a girl in her apartment. She was 20 years old. He said, we filled up the bathtub, we put her in, we didn't have enough water in there, so he's like, we sprinkled her. But they they baptized her in her bathtub in her apartment. Because you don't dare get baptized, or the Chinese government will arrest you. And George said he went to one of these in-home Bible studies, really a church service, and George sat down in this Chinese uh, Bible study, and they started praying. And now George did not know Mandarin, and so he turned to one of the other Chinese students that could speak English and Mandarin, and he said, what are they praying? And he said, they are praying for persecution to come to America. Not because they hated America, but because they wanted the church and Christianity to spread through the United States. Faith family, I wonder if God is calling us to an uncomfortable place, not because he hates us and he's picking on us, but God wants to glorify himself in our individual lives and see the gospel and his glory spread. See, here in the United States, we have no idea what persecution looks like. We get so caught up in our American culture, our American bubble, and we don't understand what is happening in the global church that we're a part of. And let's pray for these brothers and sisters. But here where it hits us right now, Jesus explains to his followers, he says, expect difficulty, Expect persecution, expect suffering. But Jesus leaves them with hope again. Jesus, and I love how Jesus explains these things. Jesus, like I said, he's always calling his disciples to difficult things. He's pushing them to their limits. He's removing their comfort zone. But Jesus always offers support. We saw how he did that in verse 15 of chapter 15, reminding them in verse 20, a servant is not greater than his master. But then he brings, he says, what does he say? Verse 26, when the counselor comes, who's he talking about there? We saw this in chapter 14. Who's he talking about there? The Holy Spirit. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will testify about me you also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. And Jesus is, and we're going to see this in chapter 16 as we keep marching through this book, that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to be my presence in your life. The Holy Spirit is going to be God in your life, the member of the Trinity, 
co-equals with God. He is going to be, the, the, the Holy Spirit is going to be my presence, my, your, your counselor, your comfort in your life. So what he is saying here, remember, we, this is not a teacher-student relationship. You're going to have the Holy Spirit with you. This is going to offer you support. As you go through suffering, as you go through persecution, the Holy Spirit will be in your life, my presence living in you. So if you are here this morning, maybe you've never believed Jesus. Perhaps you're searching out the truth and you're wanting to know more about Jesus. I hope as you hear Jesus says, as he said in verse 15, that this is no longer a master-servant relationship. This is not a rabbi-teacher relationship. This is a friend. This is a brother relationship. That, that will motivate you to enter into relationship with Jesus. And then as you come to believe Jesus and are a follower of him, then the Holy Spirit enters into our life as that counselor, as that comforter, as that spirit of truth to teach us, and he will testify about Christ, and he will help us testify about him. And if you are here, a, if you are here this morning, you are a believer, you are part of the faith family, maybe not even necessarily this local faith family, but part of the global faith family, know that suffering will come, persecution will come, but that we are co-equals with Christ. That He has suffered, He died for our own ransom, he was resurrected to seal our salvation, and He is glorified now in heaven, and one day we will be glorified with Him. And as we face persecution, as we face difficulty, we must have a heavenly perspective and understand that this is just a small slice of eternity and that one day we will be with Christ. Pray with me. Jesus, you call in a way only that you really can. You call us to uncomfortable places. You call us to do uncomfortable things. But we thank you for the relationship, the love covenant relationship we have with you. And Jesus, I pray that as we've seen just in John 15, cause us to abide in you, to remain in you. For without you, we acknowledge that we can do nothing. Jesus, cause us to remain in your love. Stir up our love and our affection for you. Remove the things in our lives that robs us of our love for you so we can obey you and we can follow you. And then Jesus, as we follow you, stir up a love for one another. Create in us a self-sacrificing love do whatever it takes to cause us to die to our own wants, needs, desires, and preferences. 
And then Jesus, as, we, as you continue to push us and call us, when we are in those uncomfortable places, or as we are in those difficult areas, as we, are, as we suffer, as we may be persecuted, I pray that you would help us to abide in you. Jesus, that may be just sharing our faith with a coworker or a neighbor, and that might feel uncomfortable, but Jesus, help us to remain in you. For we can do nothing without you. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here that has not entered into that co-equal relationship with you, I pray that you would call them to, to yourself. Open their eyes to the need for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We are located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.